Welcome to another episode of Matt's Mindset Monday. Each week we focus on topics to help you master the three elements of growth and achievement, mindset, habits, and skill. The mastery in these three elements will take you anywhere you want to go in business and in life. So are you ready to change your life or hit the next level of personal and professional achievement? Join us live Mondays at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern on my Club Growth Facebook group or catch our replays 24-7 on YouTube. Let's grow together. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about leadership, and uh, I'm going to introduce you to our guest here in a second, but as I was getting ready for for this episode, um, I just hopped on and and looked up the definition of leadership, and it's it's the action of leading a group of people or an organization towards a common goal, and and when I first started preparing for this, I got to thinking about, you know, what does that really mean, and and of course, you all know I've done a bunch of John Maxwell training, and um, of course, we have the five levels of leadership, but then we also have styles of leadership. And um, this is what kind of brought me to uh, the point of our our guest today, who's one of my really good friends. We go back many, many years. Uh, Joe Welsh, who is the executive director of Friends of Sinners. And he's going to talk to you a little bit about being a quiet leader. But before we we hop into that, um, if you think about the different styles of leadership, you have passionate leaders, you have inspirational leaders, you have assertive leaders, you have innovative leaders. And then you have the servant leader, uh, which is is something that that I know that that Joe is and what I think really, really pours into what what he would say is a quiet leader. So uh, before before we kind of do an introduction um, and get into the leadership part, Joe, tell us a little bit about um, who you are and your family and all that fun stuff. Yeah. So my name is Joe Welsh. I'm the executive director of Friends of Centers. Um, my wife is Angel Welsh. She's uh, a local radio DJ. So I'm, uh, I used to be known as the executive director of Friends of Centers. Now I'm known as Angel's husband. Uh, uh, that's my claim to fame, but I have four kids. I have three stepsons, Parker, Braden, and Tucker, and I have a daughter, um, Charlotte, who is six years old. Boys are 18, 16, and 9, so we have our hands. You don't stay busy at all, do you? No, no, no. We we have our hands. I tell people all the time I come to work to get a break. Uh, That's really true. Uh, Yeah, so it's kind of just a little bit about my family. Previously, I was the director of St. Benedict's from 2012 until around 2015 when I came to Friends of Centers. uh, just in the community, I love serving, so I'm, I serve on the uh, Ottoman Community Care Clinic Board. Uh, I've served on the Drug Court Board. I'm currently I'm still a board member for St. Benedict's and a few other things that you know I am super involved in the community. Any way I can help and serve is what I want to do and what I love to do. So, and outside of that, I'm a professional deer hunter. So. <laughs> and he he takes that designation seriously i, I know the um, now for some of our guests who are outside of the owensboro area uh tell them a little bit about your organization it's something that, that um, i'm very passionate about as as well i think your, your organization does a ton of good but for those who might not be familiar with friends of centers what do you what do you all do what's your what's your purpose and your mission so Friends of Centers was founded in 2009, and we are a Christ-centered, um, peer-driven community recovery program. So um, 
We are really similar to a treatment center, a rehabilitation program, but what we call ourselves is a discipleship program. So we focus on discipleship of men and women. Um, and what that looks like is, um, it's really one of the things we focus on that we strive to be the best at is relationships with our clients. So, you know, you can teach people a million things. You can tell them all the information in the world, but the relationships um, seem to be where most people have success. Uh, when we come beside them, they, they really become my best friend, other staff members' best friends. They become part of our family. They they come to my house, they go to my kids' birthday parties. Like we really do life together. That's part you know, of, of discipleship is really kind of walking together hand in hand with, with each person. So, um, you know, we have, right now we have 30 clients in our men's facility and 15 clients in our, in our women's facility. And we've grown tremendously. And I can talk more about that, but something that we love and that we don't want to do is is grow too big because we lose the personal, intimate, relational side of things because I think we believe that's where our success lays. So if we were to grow, and it is part of our plan to grow, but instead of growing inwardly in numbers of clients, we want to grow outwardly, meaning instead of having 100 clients in Owensboro, we would love to, to keep the numbers that we're at now and have uh, a Friends of Centers Evansville, Friends of Centers Bowling Green. Um, so that we don't lose the intimate personal relationships that we have with our clients. Yeah, and I think I think that's huge. Um, I was kind of talking about the briefly talking about the five levels of leadership earlier, and you know you have the positional leader where people follow you because of your title, and, and they have to. Then you have the permission-based leader where uh, you know people follow you because they want to, followed by production, which is they follow you because of what you've done for an organization. Then you get into people development where you start to develop the people, and you you know people follow you because of what you've done for them, and then ultimately. Ultimately, the pinnacle, um, which is something that I really appreciate about, about your leadership and about Friends of Sinners, is you strive for the pinnacle leadership, meaning that people follow you because of who you are and what you represent. So, um, how how has that your your journey in leadership kind of developed over time? Because I mean, you know, if, if we go back, I mean, me and Joe go back to high school days, and they tell you some stuff we're not going to talk about on here that we we didn't have the best uh, the best upbringing, maybe. Uh, so, how has your leadership journey like developed over time and what's that look like now yeah so um i just to be really honest i you know i'm not the greatest manager of people um so what i mean by that is i struggle with communication more than anything um i'm really quiet and it's kind of the topic of this whole thing is just being a quiet leader so I'm not always the best it's something that I have to be really intentional about um, staying on top of so I, I don't command a group setting really well as far as my staff like we have a staff meeting um, you know and we have those things I'm not the greatest at commanding the staff but what I do how I manage them is individually by one-on-one -on -one and by evaluating learning their gifts and their talents and understanding what I'm good at and what I'm not and, uh, and really hiring and choosing people that complement my gifts uh, in each role that I struggle with or that I'm not the best in, um, finding those people with those gifts and allowing them to use those gifts um, to, to help the, the organization as a whole. So some of my 
a few of my favorite uh, quotes about leadership is one of them is uh, Harry Truman and it says you can accomplish anything as long as you don't care who gets the credit and I think that's one of the things that I really kind of uh, uh, I love getting credit don't get me wrong I love I love to get a big trophy or win a game but I really also at the same time I, um, I hate the spotlight I hate to be in front of people or be seen so I love to build my staff members up. I love uh, an example of this would be Julius Maddox and uh, he worked for me for five years and he has this amazing gift as a as a weightlifter and um, he uh, for years and years and years you know I had to almost force him to leave Friends of Sinners and pursue his dreams because I could see the potential in him the fear of of leaving friends of centers and leaving this comfort and leaving the security of friends of centers was just overwhelming for him so it was I almost had to push him out the door and that's the same thing that I, I do with each of my staff members like um, I really try to build them up and um, build their careers up as much as I do my own and one of the other things I think as far as my how I've grown is I used to be it's a quote that says um like management is doing things right but leadership is doing the right things and so i uh, do things right like just everything's got to be done so i'll make sure everything gets done and i'm a really anxious person i worry a lot so i'm just focused on getting the task done over and over and over no matter what and how I've grown is just understanding that that's not really leadership. Leadership is understanding what uh, the right things to get done are rather than just getting things done. Yeah, 100%. You know, what I heard you say that that's really impactful to me and what, in my opinion, makes you a great leader is it's the sum of the collective whole, not just putting the spotlight on yourself. Uh, which is, I think, something that's crucial for leadership is you have to move the dial towards, you know, of the whole organization, not just of your own individual career, which I think is something that, that makes you really successful is you're really good at putting people in their genius seat, meaning that they're, they're in alignment with what their strengths are um, and not forcing somebody to change, to adapt to what you need out of the organization. Yeah, it's kind of... Quiet leadership is definitely a collaboration. It's a, it's a collaboration of uh, a bunch of talented people um, that make me look good. That and and I think you know the my quietness or my me being an introvert. It's it really gives them an opportunity to share and participate in the process and to feel um, to exchange ideas and bring ideas that are sometimes really great ideas that uh, and, and, and they feel safe and they feel um, like those ideas are heard rather than me just leading and me casting all the vision and I don't I don't want to hear what you all have to say so yeah, it's, it goes back to that collective whole again. I love that. So, you know, you know me, I'm a huge mindset guy. And um, we got to talk a little bit about mindset before we jump into, jump into the leadership portion. So tell me how mindset has impacted the growth of your leadership. Um, you know, when, I, when you all sent me that question, I really, uh, you know, I really didn't um, understand the question a whole lot, but um, one of the things I think about mindset is 
one of the things I think is the top of my priority list is uh, first is integrity and character. So um, probably above anything else, integrity and character is something that is a must at Friends of Centers for me and any of my staff members. Sorry, I got a nap flying around. Um, so not only for us individually, but it's almost like a, um, they they trust me that I always have their back, that I'm always going to support uh, when they fail, when they succeed. Uh, when they fail, I'm going to have their back and I'm going to be there to support them and accept some of that responsibility. And when they succeed, I'm not going to steal uh, that from them either. So that's one of the big things. And then I think with mindset is, is one of the things that recently within the last five years is just uh, my mindset has changed in that I just believe just believing that anything is possible that these dreams when we sit down and we have a strategic planning meeting and we have these crazy ideas that are uh, almost um, for me as as an as a introvert um, scare me to death like these ideas scare me to death. Let's raise a million dollars and build a new facility. It scares me to death. But um, just opening those doors and opening those conversations, I've really um, seen that it's it's really when the mindset is just day after day, do what you have to do day after day. Those huge tasks, those huge mountains that you think are impossible, actually become uh, attainable, and we accomplish them. So. I've really grown in that area of just um, dreaming big and not letting fear stop me from dreaming and really pursuing those dreams. I love that because you got to believe it before you can achieve it. And, you know, one thing that I know has, has changed for me personally is when I used to hear those big, scary goals, my first mindset used to go to why I can't achieve something. And now instead, in the mind shift, mind shift I've had is it goes to how so it's not why not anymore it's just how no matter how big it is you know I want to know how can we do it I don't ever think anything can't be done it sounds like you're kind of in the same boat yep. what is something that you wish you would have known before you really started your growth slash leadership journey like you could go back and start it all over again from from St. Benedict's even what what was something you wish you could have told yourself mm -hmm. uh that I had the ability to do any of these things, that um, it's just a matter of uh, asking. It's a, uh, so especially in the, fundra in the fundraising world, um, a, lot of, a lot of things that weren't accomplished early in my career were just out of fear of asking. Um, so I wish I would have known that um, the community is there they're willing to serve they're willing to help that we live in a community where people are dying to help and come together for for all kinds of different causes but the ask was so scary uh, uh for whatever reason the worst that they can tell you is no but for whatever reason with fundraising and not just for me and my personality but for a majority of fundraisers asking is the hardest thing and i wish i would have known that if you just ask um it, it's provided you know there's never been a time in 
I've been doing this for 10 years and I can't remember ever a time that I haven't accomplished anything that I've asked for that was um, <clears throat> that was a noble cause or was needed service for the people of Owensboro. So I wish I would have known that, um, you know, just like we talked about a few minutes ago, that these dreams that I was so that I was so scared of, I wish I would have known that these things are obtainable. It's not uh, it's these things aren't out of out of touch that this is stuff that happens somewhere else or with another leader or with another organization is doing these things and this is just little old St. Benedict's or little old Friends of Sinners because both of those organizations that I that I started with and where I'm at now started just kind of overnight we just started overnight in a building and with nothing one staff member at St. Benedict's and at Friends of Sinners the same way we started overnight with one little house on Clay Street and one staff member and one client. And I wish I wouldn't, I wish in the beginning I would have known that um, what we're experiencing now at St. Benedict's and Friends of Sinners was obtainable and was achievable and that it didn't take us 10 years to get here because we drug our feet. Yeah, and I think it's natural, like all of us as just humans in general have a fear of rejection. I think that's a that's a natural tendency that you have to condition your mind to overcome. And, you know, one thing that I always tell myself just to, uh, is no means next. So I'm always focused on that so that I don't get caught up on the no's. No just means I'm that much closer to a yes. And I think that, you know, in, in that situation with, with what you build, it's, it's momentum over time and starting to see what you can accomplish. And then over time, you recognize that there is so many great people that are out there willing to help uh, and willing to contribute. So that those those big dreams that seem scary when you're in that very first meeting, um, as you get into the process and you start to see where, where the momentum's building and people are giving and things like that, it, you know, I could imagine how each day, each week, each month, it just gets easier and easier and easier. And now that you know that, it's probably that next big dream isn't as scary. Yeah. One of, one of the other things I'll add that I wish I would have known is that an executive director's role isn't uh, everything under this umbrella. So what it, I was kind of thrown into the fire and I didn't have staff members. So my role as executive director was to be the executive director to be in charge of marketing, to be in charge of fundraising, to be in charge of facilities, to be in charge of managing staff, to be in charge of managing clients, to be in charge of grants, to be in charge of speaking events, to be in charge of finding volunteers, all of those things that, you know, I was thrown into the fire. And when I transitioned from St. Benedict's to Friends of Centers, I was kind of used to that. So I, I continued to do all those things and I had this, you know, when I started thinking about hiring a marketing fundraiser type person, you know, the fear of, well, how am I going to pay for it? Well, I wish I would have known that that position is so valuable that literally since I've hired that position, the development director, our, our income has went up 200% in three years. So, and, and it was... For two years, I went back and forth on, can I do this? What if it doesn't work? And, you know, that position. So those positions that that are underneath me as the executive director, uh, identifying what those positions are and the value, like they always pay for themselves. And I didn't know that in the beginning. Tenfold. I mean, I, yes, uh, the you know, I, I obviously talked to to 
in my world, it's, it's real estate agents typically, but I speak to a lot of business owners and um, that's the number one thing when it comes to a growing business. They're they're afraid to make the next hire out of hey you know the the responsibility that comes from the income and things like that but when you when you're hiring correctly and, and you're maximizing people's strengths and and filling positions that that should lead to you know a, you know tenfold growth uh, if you're put if you're putting people in the right position because you know uh, when you were naming all those different things you did you know we you know it's it's difference between being the the jack of uh, all trades versus and the master of none versus really getting you know granular and focus on what we do best and then fill the gaps with what we don't do good with talented people and it it goes back to something that you know we've talked about in the past is you know uh making sure that you surround yourself with talent and having people that, that can help your organizational grow so yep. um yep. as a uh, quiet leader you know what what would you say a quiet leader does differently than you know what most people might traditionally think of a leader um you know the first thing i think is uh with most quiet leaders i'm not sure that all quiet leaders but i know this is true in my life is they you know they they check their ego at the door uh, so typically with a quiet leader you don't you, you know their egos are left um <clears throat> at the door when they walk in but they they earn the trust and the respect of their team because it's like this lateral versus um, like a hierarchical thinking. So um, the quiet leader typically, in my experience, wouldn't ask their their employee to do anything that they wouldn't do. So um, that's that's one of the the biggest things I think that or the biggest compliments that I've got as a quiet leader, like early on in my career as a as a quiet leader i thought um i'm not a I'm not a good leader because i'm not real vocal i'm not inspiring people with my voice um but as i left saint benedict's um you know one of uh, i had a few people who worked for me who really um kind of inspired me through their letters or their texts and just were able to communicate the how much i inspired and influence them by leading quietly that by leading um with my actions by sweeping the floor by by taking out the trash by doing the things that a leader doesn't typically do i was inspiring my employees that um at that time and and that i didn't have to what what it did for me is that it it just encouraged me that i didn't have to be this super vocal super outgoing charismatic leader to be successful that my employees trusted me and followed me and were empowered by me through my quietness through my through me not saying saying something and something else that that they said that made a lot of sense to me as they said when i did speak uh, they listened. When I did speak, they knew it was important. When I did speak, it was impactful because I wasn't just speaking about everything or addressing everything or micromanaging everything. So they knew when I had something to say that it was important, that this really needed to be addressed or this really needed to be corrected or this really was important to me because if it wasn't, I wouldn't be speaking basically. Yeah, I love that. You you did it through relationships and influence, and it's it's more influence is more than just the, um, you know the the go get them motivating type. Because I I think that the 
you know, th there's a, a time and a place for that. Uh, but I don't think that the, in my personal opinion, that is limited in how long that impact lasts versus, you know, earning the trust and respect is something you said, which, which is a relational and influential that can last beyond. And I was sitting here listening to you tell that, and I was thinking about the game last night, the Rams and 49ers game. And um, Aaron, Do Aaron Donaldson was kind of on the sidelines. And one thing they talked about, you could see he pulled the whole defense together and was rallying them uh, at the end of the game. And that's one thing the commentator said is that they don't typically, he's not the very outspoken leader of the defense. He usually leads through his play on the field. But in that moment, he was able to rally the troops. And then that made that much more of an impact to him because it's like, oh, he's speaking up. This is serious. Let's dial in and let's go. Uh, and then obviously we saw the result of that game. So it's, I think you're onto something. I think it works. Yeah. And, and just one more thing to add to that. I think uh, the ability to stay calm under pressure or in crisis. So when go wrong, when things uh, seem like they're falling apart or when there's this huge emergency, like uh, the quiet leader typically stays calm and, and out, you know, whether that's a, you know, I don't think that's necessarily like something that I've learned or been able to build as a talent. It's just my personality. Like, um, so instead of overreacting or flipping out because something is, uh, you know, the kitchen's on fire, like we're able to stay calm. And I think that kind of influences the employees or the clients also that, you know, okay, Joe's calm. Joe's calm. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to lose everything. You know, this is going to be all right. Uh, we're going to recover. You know, there's a plan. There's a, uh, there's a solution to this crisis. Yeah, and they're, they're just, they're modeling the behavior of their leader. Uh, so, you know, as as they see, you, you know, where internally, you know, or even externally sometimes, they could be, you know, uh, really freaking out and not knowing when they see that calming presence, it carries over to them as well. And then, and then I think that helps build confidence. It's like, oh, okay, well, if Joe isn't freaking out, then, then maybe I don't need to be freaking out as much. Yep. Yeah. So uh, how much time do you spend, uh, you know, observing your staff and, and how important is that in terms of your leadership style? Um, it's, it's very, very important. Um, so I think as a quiet leader, as an introverted leader, like in order uh, for this successful I, I really need a team of stars around me like um, a team of stars a team of super talented people are best served by a quiet leader um, they're able to uh, to use their gifts and talents and not not you know their leader not feel threatened or their leader um, listen to take advantage of their gifts and talents so um, <clears throat> I think it's it, it's really important for me to evaluate and watch and listen to make sure I got the right people in the right place. Because, um, like I said, quiet leadership is a, is a collaboration. And if there's, if there's a weak link, um, then things can go south really fast with the quiet leader, especially and the hardest part of that for me is, um, is speaking up. So a lot of times I'll watch and I'll watch and I'll watch and my personality is to give people grace and to allow them to mess up over and over and over. And a lot of times that puts me in a bad position uh, 
I let things go too long instead of instead of speaking up um, immediately. Uh, so I, I definitely watch, evaluate um, those things, but where I fell at is I probably don't address those things soon enough. I don't correct them soon enough, and and that's that sometimes um, it's hard it's harder to correct the longer you let it go on. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's a fine line there. Um, so for me, like my natural personality type is. Uh, when I'm when I'm leading an organization and I, I allow people to like you said to, to kind of fail forward if you will it's hard for me to not just want to go in and save the day like in terms of like I just want to go in and help and uh, but I think it's important that we allow people to develop um, and in order to develop they need to learn um, and the way to learn is to allow people to make mistakes so um, I'm kind of opposite of you in that and that I typically want to dive right in and and fix things, if you will. And I think it's important that we have that working balance of, like you said, you don't let it go too long, but you also don't jump right in yeah. and just save the day right away. When I say fail, I'm not, I'm not really talking about at task necessarily. I think maybe what I'm, what I'm speaking into maybe is behaviors. Yes. Yeah. I Meaning, um, <clears throat> time wasted, um, playing on your phone, not be, you know, running errands, when you're supposed to be at work like i give my staff a lot of freedom a lot of leeway like uh because i trust them because we're we're family because we're a team they they know those things and i get taken advantage of a lot with that but um it it's those behaviors that i recognize uh, a lot of times a lot of times before I address them, they're, they've already kind of, I've already developed a resentment. I've already developed this, I'm not sure this person's gonna work. And, and I don't think that's fair to the employee because um, to the staff member, because I, you know, it's, it is my job to address those things and I let them go on so long out of fear of confrontation, out of uh, fear of, you know upsetting them or hurting their feelings and um so that's kind of like a culture thing and that's something that i've really been working on uh, in the past few years is just this culture of our our office environment our work culture there's a lot of downtime there's a lot of free time there's a lot of flexibility and those things can get out of get out of control really fast if if i don't speak up if i don't um um, address them so I struggle with that a lot but I'm definitely watching and evaluating those things in my head probably nobody else in the world knows but I definitely think uh, you know when I think about it I'm like all right these are my rock stars and I could do it I could replace these people easily so and this isn't something that we prepared for before the meeting but uh, I'm so glad you brought this up in my mind, a leader's number one job at all times is to protect the culture of, of their company. And um, you kind of touched base on that. Do you care to expand on why culture is so important to you? Yeah. Um, so coming coming into uh, Friends of Centers, um, it's kind of unique in that every person that worked here for so long were best friends. We go to church together, we went through treatment together. It's just kind of this family, we're best friends. All the people that worked here are best friends. And with that, you know, um, the culture has kind of turned into like, we're just all sitting around, hanging out, not really, you know, we accomplish 
the task at hand. We do what we have to do today, but nothing, we don't grow. We don't get better in any area. We don't correct, improve on anything. So the culture just kind of, we were just kind of at this line where we were just flat and nothing was getting better because the culture was just, we just all hang out. Let's go work out together. Let's go out to eat. You know, uh, let's just hang out all day. And that, um, that environment is not really inspiring to me or any other staff member. So that's contagious. And when a new person would come in, they would fall right into that. Um, they see everybody else doing that. So now I'm looking for them and they're gone doing the same things that everybody else has been doing. So it's been something that's been really, really hard to correct. And I'm still working on correcting it. Part of me correcting that whole culture is our new facility. We're in these three old houses on Clay Street and this culture, how things are, how the offices are, they're not really set up uh, strategically. They're, they're not set up for a good work environment. Um, and so part of our new facility plan was to be more professional, to offer a better service for our clients and for me to change the culture of our work environment, our office environment. How much do you think um, the visual representation first, uh, when somebody first walks in, plays a part of that culture? Is that something that you're you're trying to change with the new building, or like what yep. do you mean by environment? Absolutely. So we we are holding our clients to this standard way up here. We have the bar set for them right here that their rooms clean, that they follow directions, that. They follow all these rules and everything's in order. And in this environment that we have, it's the the staff needs to be the first that needs to reach that bar and be setting that example. And I, I do think for the growth of Friends of Sinners, um, it's, it's, it's right now in the past, it's always just kind of been like a local ministry that, you know, Bob, who goes to church with a guy I know, sends his son here and they walk in and, well, Bob said it was good, so it's good. But I don't think if somebody who knew nothing about us walked in and saw the facility or saw what was going on, that they would be like, man, I'm, I feel really good about leaving my son here for treatment because it, it's kind of, it, it really is just this... <sighs> I feel like our facilities and our work culture is still in its infancy. And so those are the things I'm trying to change because my long-term goal is to, is to reproduce Friends of Centers in Evansville or Bowling Green or wherever, wherever. But in order to do that, I have to get Friends of Centers Owensboro into the place that is uh, where it no longer needs me, where it can function without me, where it is, um, there's nothing else for me to accomplish in Owensboro. That's kind of my goal. So with a mother or father coming in, I think the appearance is really important. It it um, comforts them to see that we're organized, that we have structure. So for example, a, a new guy comes in today. The process of a new guy coming in today may be different th tomorrow than it was today because so many people are just are doing different things for me. So my plan is to, is to really kind of uh, to have a flow chart and to have, a, you know, an intake director and 
people, all of my staff members have their role and they play their role so that everything every day that we do is the same over and over and over and that we don't have any breakdowns. And then also with the client, when the client comes in um, and he sees us scrambling, scrambling around or staff members scrambling around or that the paperwork that we we need he needs to do it isn't a big deal oh, don't worry about it we'll get to it later it kind of sets the tone that first hour that first day that for first week sets the tone of what we expect from a client and standard and so when um when things are real loose or when we're real relaxed about things which we are and we have been and we we will be in some ways um it, it kind of sets the tone for them that hey we can just hang out too um, or we can be relaxed and that's not the message that I want to send to them obviously so you know there's there's a lot of great things that about we've been really really successful the way that we are right now but we could double triple quadruple that success if I did my job better yeah, I, and I, I get it as somebody's expanded business across towns and now even states. Um, standardization is the key to expansion, without a doubt, because when you get into to new areas, if you don't have those those standards that set, then everybody does something slightly different and things get missed. So totally understand where you're coming from there. The next the next question I was going to ask you, and I'm actually going to change it a little bit. It was, you know, when's the last time you had a hard time being a leader? But one thing that I've kind of recognized through this is what makes you a powerful leader is you're uniquely you. Like you know who you are and you lead that way. And it's almost like in a good way, you're unapologetic about, hey, I'm a quiet guy and I'm going to lead in this direction. What led you to that self-confidence to be able to, to be who you are? Because I think that's the most effective leader is when you are uniquely who you are. Um, well, I, honestly, you know, I, I don't know that everyone knows my story, but, um, you know, I, I've had, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and, um, changed my life and one of the things that happened in that process was that every every weakness that I had that I thought was a weakness or I considered a weakness has now became a strength. Um, every failure that I that I've ever experienced dealt those experiences now are used for good. Like and so just being confident in who I am I think has come from my relationship with God and my faith and um also the the success that I've had professionally like just being transparent and uh, uh, I'm I have more confident in saying I messed up and I than I am when I say I succeeded like for whatever reason that's just my personality like I would never walk in a room and say like well I won today I really did good on this test or I really did good at this and look what I did but I love walking in a room and saying, man, I messed up. I, like, this is where I failed and this is where I failed. And I think, um, I'm, I think I'm just more confident saying those things, but I also think it's, uh, you know, just part of my leadership in that um, I want the people I work with day in and day out, the biggest part of their recovery, their recovery is being 
uh, vulnerable and transparent when they fail, like learning how to be accountable to yourself and to others. So I love, I love holding myself accountable. You know, obviously um, today it's a lot easier because it's really small stuff. You know, it's not like I'm out robbing a bank and then I'm gonna go say, I robbed a bank today, but it's really small stuff. So, you know, I've learned that those things are, uh, are just a part of life and and there's power in confessing those things there's power in in telling on yourself um you, you know That's you relatable i mean yeah, you, I to show you're not perfect you know? yeah that part and i don't think i plan on that part or like i plan on well i want to be relatable i think it's more of uh it's just how we grow how i grow individually like I can't work on this part, this thing, if I keep this to myself. Like, if I'm continually failing at something, like, I want help. I want to correct that. And so the best way for me to start to correct that is by telling others, telling, you know, maybe some, maybe not everybody in the world, but there may be a specific person that I know that struggle with this or that is really good at this. And like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to keep you know it may be like a staffing issue or whatever like my staff's out of control again like uh where where how are you failing well how how i typically fail is i don't speak like i don't address things i put it off or um fear that I've done it so so long and it's almost it's almost in in my world in the recovery world you are rewarded for making mistakes and holding yourself accountable so it's like a you're holding yourself accountable like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing so if if I didn't speak about my feelings that would be um I wouldn't I would it would be a disservice to myself and um, that's kind of the thing. So, you know, it's not just about being relatable or letting other people know that it's okay to fail. It really is about me. Selfishly, it's about that I don't want to do a disservice to myself. I don't want to keep failing in this area. So I'm going to talk about it. I want to be better. I want to, I want you people to put it to out to the world. And yeah. in, in turn, it's going to kind of force change, if you will, because now everybody knows. Yeah. Now everybody knows. So, so, uh, that inspires me or encourages me or forces me to get better. Like talking about, I don't believe fail. I don't, I'm not vocal enough. Now everybody knows I better start speaking up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm making, I'm making notes here. I'm going to be checking in with you and say, Hey, you've been, you've been addressing things lately. <laughs> yep. well, hey, we got just a, a couple minutes left and there's so much more I could, I could dive into with you. I think this is, it's been a fantastic episode. Um, what would you like our audience to take away from this session? If there was just one thing that that you could, whether it be advice or, or something to learn from, or just in general, like leadership, what, what would you have them take away? Well, that you know, there's there's not there's not a one size fits all leader. Um, just like you said in the beginning, and you went through all the the five types of leaders, John Maxwell, the manner of leader of the leader of your organization it all it's all situational like um so the a team of stars like if i have a team of all stars they may be best served 
working under a quiet or introverted leader who respects their ideas, who's willing to let them shine. Um, but if you have a team of passive people um, who prefer to be told what to do, um, they'll find an introvert to be frustrating, uninspiring, and they won't respond um, to a quiet leader. But those people, those passive people, they may respond to a hot shot who talks a good game, who dominates the room, who loves the spotlight, and they may even worship that guy, right? So that there's no one-size-fits-all leader. And I think it's really important for the leader of whatever organization, business, whatever you're leading, that you understand which type of leader you are so that when you build your team or when you have the opportunity to, re to expand your team or replace the team member, that you're looking for the people that complement who you are as a leader because it's really important. If, if I, as a leader, went and found a bunch of passive people, uh, I'm never going to inspire them. They're never going to thrive under me because they need to be told what to do. They need to be inspired by this, you know, just hot shot leader who can lead anything and everything. But when I'm looking for people um, to hire or to be a part of my team, I'm looking for people who are confident, who are really good, who are really talented. Not because, not only because, like, they may be best at the job because they're so talented, but because those people thrive under my leadership i love that and it, that's super powerful you got to know yourself first and, and and pour into yourself before you can pour into others is something that i learned along the way as well and i think that's that's huge 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 um and then the other last thing just a kind of finishing note um are we allowed to announce what we were talking about earlier with y'all's new facility and all that can we talk about that yeah, that's all. So you guys just got a brand new facility, right? So that's exciting. We were kind of talking about it before we went on the air. You want to let everybody know what that is and kind of what your plans are for it? Yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, in June of uh, last year, we bought the old Ark of Owensboro facility. It's on the corner of 8th and Jackson Street. Um, it's an old school building. Um, it's total... It's on like a two acre lot, it's total like six, 16,000 square feet. So, you know, we're going from like 6,000 square feet and three old small houses, to 16,000 square feet. And the goal with that is not to increase the number of clients we serve, but to improve the service that we offer our clients to be more professional, to be able to offer more services, to just establish friends of centers in our community in a more professional light. Um, and it's just been a long time coming. These houses are uh, residential, so I know realtors know about residential and commercial. And 50 guys for 12, 13 years in residential houses have taken a toll. So, Although they serve their purpose well and they still serve their purpose well, things just kind of fall apart. It's not built to hold uh, 30, 40 guys. A house isn't built to withstand that over time. So uh, the school, the old school, the, you know, our new facility is more commercial in that it's concrete and brick and um, it's just gonna be, it's just gonna hold up to what we do. And it's gonna give us the space to do so much more. It's gonna you know, with almost 20,000 square foot, now we can start to dream again and we can start to uh, add services. We can start to add projects. We can, um, you know, there's the possibilities are endless. So I'm super excited about that 
um, about our new facility and the looks and all that stuff, but most importantly about what that's going to mean for our clients and two, what that's going to mean for the culture of our office and our employees and being able to change that culture and address that those issues and really, um, you know, uh, be proud of our, our organization. We have a great reputation. We've literally in um, in the last five years, probably our profit, our profit year to year has grown 200% since I, I hired the development director. But on top of that, the marketing um, has grown 200% too. So we're really respected. We're really known in the community, the judges, the courts, the businesses, everyone. And it's almost embarrassing to bring them to our office or to our facility just because, you know, the, we're grateful for this this is what guys gave us but it's time for us to to move on and be proud of our facility and uh, be uh, be able to invite you all in um, to be able to uh, the clients to take pride in where they're at and i, I think that there's a few parts of that these houses kind of have a homey feel and i think we love that like we love it to be personal intimate have a homey feeling so we don't want to lose that moving to our new facility so we'll work on some of that too but um it also has this um kind of uh rinky dink feel too also for our clients so uh, i'm not sure that when they walk in the door they're super confident that we know what we're doing just because of the way you know the, the facility looks or the way things operate and we operate the best we can and the, the way that we have to right now but those are the goals moving to our new facility to be more professional to offer a better service for our clients you know and then to change the culture of friends centers for our clients and our staff I absolutely love it. And I'm super excited for you all as well. And I know that, you know, I know the service you provide to, to your clients in the community. And I think you're so deserving of, of having that facility. And I know under your leadership, that culture will continue to develop and, and you guys will hit new heights. So thank you so much for jumping on with us. Uh, I took tons of notes as we were going through. Uh, I know everybody else did. So I appreciate your time. Thank you for the lessons on leadership. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Matt's Mindset Monday. Join us again next week as we continue our journey of personal and professional development by learning the mindset, habits, and skills to reach our full potential.